This is a Rooster Teeth production. April 27th, 1865. The Civil War has just ended, as Confederate General Robert E. Lee had surrendered to General Ulysses S. Grant just a few weeks ago. A steamboat known as the Sultana was headed from Vicksburg, Mississippi, up the Mississippi River to St. Louis. It was carrying thousands of Union soldiers who had just been released from Confederate prison camps. What happened next would be the worst maritime disaster in U.S. history. A deadly record that stands to this day. This is a tale of bribery, corrupt military leaders, and soldiers coming to the rescue of their former enemies. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. I'm Brian. Ahoy and welcome aboard Ship Hits the Fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh-ohs and whoopsies on the high seas. And maybe, you know, cricks and reservoirs. Cricks, yeah. Seven score and 17 years ago, a house precariously perched on the precipice of division was held fast. Crisis so narrowly averted. A famed scientist once said, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. A sentiment all too familiar to one John Wilkes Booth as he purchased his ticket to the theater. You may wonder, dear listener, could matters worsen? Well, as you'll soon discover, yes. Credit to Universal Pictures for the Back to the Future quote. (laughs) So again, just want to say, we are very much amateurs. We have zero expertise on ships, shipbuilding, navigating the waterways of our great country. Helming. Helming, captaining. Yeah, depths, uh, fathoms. We are kind of just enthusiasts. We have, you know, about as much knowledge as maybe just the average person. We have a morbid curiosity. The average landlocked person. Yeah, it's morbid curiosity more than anything else. So uh, just keep that in mind. So Patrick, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the Sultana. It is a 260-foot-long wooden steamboat. It was, I should say, a 260-foot-long wooden steamboat. It hadn't been that long in a long time. No, no, no. It was built in Cincinnati in 1863, and it regularly transported passengers and freight between St. Louis and New Orleans on the Mississippi River. So it had two side-mounted paddle wheels, which I'm sure this is like the classic kind of like steamboat Yeah, yeah, Mark Twain style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You would expect to see Mickey Mouse piloting this thing and whistling. Of course, yeah, that's that's exactly what this is. So those wheels, driven by four tubular or fire tube boilers, that sounds dangerous right off the bat, mm-hmm. a fire tube boiler. But the boilers had safety issues. The water levels had to be carefully maintained at all times. Even the slightest dip in water level could cause hot spots leading to metal fatigue, greatly increasing the risk of an explosion. <laughs> yeah. Everything back then seemed extremely dangerous and required a lot of savvy to operate safely. So you can see why all of these horrible things happened. Required a lot of savvy, but was operated by a 13-year-old alcoholic in most cases. <laughs> Who yes. looked Graduated from high school at the age of eight. High yes. school? Well, dropped out at eight, yeah. Yeah, dropped out of, of the, schoolhouse, the schoolhouse. Yeah. So uh, more on that risk of explosion later. So let's just, let's get right into it. The Sultana left St. Louis on April 13th, 1865. It was under command of Captain James Cass Mason. Very good uh, Civil War name. Really good. We're going to hear a lot about Cass. Yeah. Uh, Headed down the Mississippi River, bound for New Orleans. 
Papa Cast. Well, not a lot of jazz in this one. Okay, yeah. So the year 1865 should ring a bell because that is the year the Civil War ended in the U.S. Yeah, that was it. So two days into the trip on the morning of April 15th, the Sultana was tied up at Cairo, Illinois, when word reached the city of an assassination, uh, one that you may have heard of. Oh, my God. Yeah, one of the most famous in U.S. history. In what fact. happened? Oh, no, President Kennedy's dead. Oh, <laughs> no, no, different. Yeah, older, further back. This just in from Dealey Plaza. The president <laughs> has been shot. Oh, no, the real Joe Biden. <laughs> so President Abraham Lincoln had been shot the day before. Gunned down in his prime. Yeah, Captain Mason grabbed an armload of newspapers in Cairo and headed south to spread the news. He knew that telegraphic communication with the southern states had been almost totally cut off in the war. And upon reaching Vicksburg, Mississippi, Mason was approached by Captain Reuben Hatch, who was chief quartermaster for the Union Army at Vicksburg. Hatch had a proposal for Mason, and this proposal would set the stage for the disaster that was about to come. Oh, man, that's so interesting that this ship, that we came at it just from a disaster and human death angle, they mm. were also spreading the word of Abraham Lincoln's untimely death. Yeah, because word traveled so slow. <laughs> like You literally had to carry word yeah, to word, other places. Word literally traveled as fast as the Mississippi River could flow. Yes. Also, a little bit of a, a tell here that you can tell Captain Mason, a bit of an entrepreneur. He grabbed the newspapers. You know he was going to sell those at probably a markup. Yep. Hey, anybody want their souvenir? Because those probably, you know, would be snatched up in the South. They're like, oh, I need to find oh, yeah. this and put it on the wall. Not if it's the New York Times. <laughs> Not that liberal rag. So at this point, the war was pretty much over. Thousands of recently released Union prisoners of war had been brought to a small camp outside of Vicksburg to await release to the northern states. And guess what? There was money to be made for anyone with a boat willing to bring these POWs back home. And a lot of money. For, like, at least for this time period. Oh, yeah. The U.S. government would pay $5 per enlisted man and $10 per officer to any steamboat captain who would take a group of prisoners back north. Again, a boat disaster indirectly stemming from a government decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is why we can't have big government in this country. <laughs> $5, that was like a hundred Big Macs back then. Just oh, to give yeah. Some, a point around, that was a million number one supersized. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. With fries. Mm -hmm. Full combo. Because it's cheaper with the large combo. Yeah, yeah. Hatch said he could guarantee Mason a full load of about 1,400 prisoners if Mason would agree to give him a kickback. Guess what? Mason agreed. Also, Vicksburg as a city was very important. That was kind of known as like the, the cornerstone of the South. That was like their last stronghold on the Mississippi River. Ulysses S. Grant captured it a few years earlier, and that was kind of signaled like that cut the South in half. So Vicksburg, very important uh, of a civil war because it was right on the Mississippi and it was kind of overlooked it. So yeah, it's also where my mom was born. Oh, so, oh that's interesting. Doubly important. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Brian, a bit of a civil war buff. That's so. I, I was born in northern Louisiana. So yeah, you, you heard about it a lot, even in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Some really beautiful statues down there. Like it just happened. Yes, yeah. of course. Oh my God. So it's important to note, Hatch had a history of corrupt practices. Earlier in his career, he was an assistant quartermaster in his home state of Illinois, 
Reportedly, he indulged in graft there, involving government lumber purchases, the selling of army supplies, and steamboat charter fraud. I just want to say, though, it's Illinois. You know, that's part of the that's part of the job is being super corrupt, right? Chicago politics, baby. Yeah, all the all the way from him to to Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just part of the culture. <laughs> A history of corruption. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He also and I didn't I didn't put this in the script, but he tried to destroy the evidence by like throwing it in the river. Oh lord. But it got found. <laughs> it so got he found. Didn't even do that right. Yeah. Oh lord. Okay. Paul. Stop <laughs> floating in the river. I found some evidence. <laughs> How easy would it have been to destroy evidence back then? Just burn it, dude. Don't throw it in the river. Oh yeah. A barrel, a barrel and some like any crime before nineteen seventy, you just Burn it. Yep. That's it. Yep. Yeah, he wasn't like, oh, shit, I saved this to my iPhone. F- it's in the cloud now. Apple's got it. So, yeah, like you said, after investigations began, Hatch tried to destroy evidence, and it appeared that a court-martial was imminent, but a powerful family connection would save Hatch. This is oh. the first and only time that's happened. Phew. Here. His brother, Ozias Hatch, was Illinois' Secretary of State and one of Abraham Lincoln's closest friends and political campaign benefactors. Ozias Hatch asked Lincoln to vouch for his brother's character to a judge advocate general, and Lincoln did. Lincoln also recommended a few people for the three-person commission that would later clear Reuben Hatch of wrongdoing. Oh my god, my grandmother was right about Lincoln. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Bryant's grandmother, back to Vicksburg. Memphis lawyer Jerry Potter, who had studied the disaster for decades and wrote a book on the tragedy, told the Daily Beast, Vicksburg was essentially a cesspool of corrupt and incompetent officials in 1865. Potter said that, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most corrupt, Reuben Hatch would be a 12. This one goes to 11. Yeah, this is Spinal (laughs) Tap fan. So Hatch and Mason had a deal. Hatch would provide a bunch of Union POWs for Mason to transport back to the North, and Hatch would get a kickback in return. I prefer people that weren't cut. (laughs) But before Mason could get his prisoners, he first had to go south to New Orleans. He had to party, baby. Yeah, he was was Mardi Gras. Woo! Uh, Leaving (laughs) Vicksburg, the Sultana completed its trip to New Orleans, continuing to spread the news of Lincoln's assassination. Just a boat coming down the river. (laughs) Attention! Lincoln has been assassinated! On April 21st, the ship had finished its business in New Orleans and headed back north. That's uh, upriver, yes? North? Yeah, north would generally be upriver. The Nile runs the other way. (laughs) That's true. That's true. On the return trip, the ship had about 70 captain and deck passengers, along with a small amount of livestock. It also carried a crew of 85. So... You know, keep those numbers in the back of your head. Yeah, you're not you're not in Egypt any you're not in Egypt anymore, boy. You're no, in Louisiana no. and Mississippi. <laughs> On its return voyage to pick up those Union POWs, the Sultana suddenly had a big problem. About ten hours south of Vicksburg, one of the steamship's four boilers sprang a leak. What? Yeah. You're kidding. Yeah. No, I'm not. That's no, what, yeah. that's that's bad. That wasn't supposed to happen. No, no, no. You're, they're not supposed to spring leaks. <laughs> it's it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to uh, what they did. So the ship arrived in Vicksburg to get the boiler repaired and to pick up her load of prisoners. While the poor old prisoners were brought on board, a mechanic worked on the leaky boiler. Although the mechanic wanted to cut out and replace a ruptured seam, Mason knew that such a job would take a few days. And that was too long. By the time the repairs would be completed, the prisoners would have been sent home on other boats. And that would mean that Mason would not get his money, and Hatch, who had promised him 1,400 prisoners, 
wouldn't get his kickback. It, it really hasn't changed. This no. could happen today. Yes. This yes, could happen today, could. like an overloaded ship sinking. I could imagine reading that. Yeah. Now, maybe we don't burn as much coal as we used to. Beautiful, clean coal. A fair amount, though, still. <laughs> Instead, Mason and his chief engineer, Nathan Wintringer, convinced the mechanic to just make some temporary repairs. The mechanic made a quick fix, hammering back a bulged boilerplate and riveting a patch over the seam. So instead of taking two or three days, the temporary repair, it only took one. Mason grabs the hammer. Here, look. You just yeah, bang, bang, it's bang, just bang, like this. What could go wrong? You can just hammer a prisoner over that patch. It'll yeah, be just fun. tape them. Hugging the boiler, scalding hot. In addition, the Sultana ended up with far more than 1,400 released Union prisoners. A mix-up with the parole camp books and possible bribery from other steamboat captains caused the Union officer in charge of the loading, Captain George Augustus Williams, to place every man at the parole camp on oh, the Sultana. Oh, no. Every person. Captain George Augustus Williams. <laughs> it's a great name. I say I want every man on this camp on that ship on the double. I say, I say, I say. We're going to get into it, but they were not comfortable. <laughs> no. Uh, so... Side note, there were two empty steamboats docked near the Sultana at different times waiting for excess soldiers. Just yeah, empty. Yeah, so were they not promised $5 a head? Wouldn't they be conniving and scheming to I, get as I many prisoners? I don't think they had the connections to connive as well. You need connections to connive. They weren't as good at graft. They didn't have connections going back to Illinois and President Lincoln. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he built a log cabin. That's right. Did you hear about that? On multiple occasions, different officers shared with Hatch their concerns that the Sultana was too overcrowded and the extra boats should be used. However, those extra boats would eventually leave Vicksburg practically empty. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah no, <laughs> yeah, no, no, this no, is fine. It's it, fine, it's fine, it's fine. I think I'm the captain here. Yeah. Okay. So at least twice, Hatch refused a junior officer's advice to move some more men. Well, junior. Because each, each one of those men... Is at least five dollars. I'm not gonna listen to a junior officer. I'm with the captain here. I'm not. I'm fine. I'm gonna make a lot. I'm gonna put a new porch on my house. Oh, they loved porches, didn't they? I don't they? know how much of this is Captain Hubris and how much is Captain Greed. <laughs> they, but well, that is their names. Their yeah. God-given names. Yeah, Captain Hubris. <laughs> And Augustus Green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm wanting chocolate, but I need to money to do so. So, let's, so Augustus Gloop. That's very good. Thank from you. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Let's get back to those numbers. Here is the number to keep in mind. The Sultana had a legal capacity of only 376. And also remember, before any passengers were brought on, it already had 70 passengers and a crew of 85. So we're at 155 people Right off the bat. We're I, already almost halfway there. I mean, they were prisoners of war. They can't have had much weight on their These bones. weren't. What? These ones no, weren't. No, the crew, but you know, you put more on. Like, they're, sure, they're yeah. probably rail thin. That's true. You know? That's a good point. I can't build a new porch with legal capacity. Come on. No, no, I'll no. make it out of their bones. So, by the time the Sultana left Vicksburg on the night of April 24th, she was severely overcrowded, to say the least, with at least 1,960 paroled prisoners added to the mix. Oh, no! That's too many! That's 
what do you think they were talking about? over 376. I'm so excited to go home. And we should add numbers vary because some sources said it was over 2,000, but at the low end, we're talking 1,960. Yeah. Yeah, which is six times the capacity of the Sultana. <laughs> yeah. And, and these are like, I don't know. <laughs> it's got to be sitting low in the river, right? At oh, this point? I admit. Well, yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> it's not just the river. This is when ships ships were just held together with wood and rivets and racism. It's, it's yeah. just made of cedar and horse glue. Basically. So, yeah, a ship with a capacity of 376 instead had more than 2,000 on board, well over six times its capacity. Good. Good, yeah. good, good, good. And this yeah. is a wooden ship. So remember, the overflow was so severe that in some places the decks began to creak and sag and had to be supported with heavy wooden beams. <laughs> they, they, do you think the prisoners went to any of the officers and they were like, it's sagging a lot, right? And it's, it's just the boat settling. Nah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, they, she, there's good bones on this girl. And then they pat a beam and it and shatters. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I honestly blame my mom for the slipshod repair she did in Vicksburg. On the ship. <laughs> oh, that was her. I love you, mom. You're just not a shipwright. Yeah, she's she's a good you. woman, but she shouldn't be working on steamboats. No. I I'll bet that captain, too, was like, shut up. You're a POW until we reach land in the north yeah. or something. <laughs> you think we the ship know. was creaking and the captain was just like, <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> He had Did a, you hear something? A long tube, a metal tube that ran through the whole ship and it would erupt into like funnels. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. An eyewitness from another boat recalled chatter among the last group of soldiers to be herded onto the Sultana. They were complaining, quote, there was no room for them to lie down or place to attend the calls of nature. There was much indignation. They said they were not going to be packed on the boat like damned hogs. That's really good. I think they unfortunately did, though. But hey, don't worry. It gets worse. And if you used the D word back then, you knew it was serious. They oh, just yeah. didn't swear like that. Yeah, they're going no. to heck for that one. At Calls of Nature, that's that's peeing and pooping. Peeing and pooping. Correct. Yeah. And J-O-ing, maybe. Possibly. Yeah, they may have been allowed that in the I mean, in It's the possible. Camp, I mean, they would have had to be okay with, you know, stairs. Tight quarters. Tight too. quarters, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, don't worry, it gets a lot worse. The Sultana spent two days traveling upriver, fighting against one of the worst spring floods in the river's history. Whew. Yeah. April showers. That's right. On April 26, Sultana stopped at Helena, Arkansas, where photographer Thomas W. Banks took a picture of the overcrowded ship. Any photograph taken in 1865 looks like it's taken of hard times. Yeah. But you look at this boat, which uh, we'll put up. We've got socials, ship hits pod. Mm -hmm. It's not looking good. No. You can just tell there's suffering It looks like something's aboard. about to go badly wrong. Awfully wrong. Yeah. Later that day, Sultana arrived at Memphis, Tennessee around 7 p.m., and the crew began unloading 120 tons of sugar from the hold. Near midnight, Sultana left Memphis, leaving behind about 200 men. They had sugar in there, too? All these men yeah. and sugar. 120 tons of sugar. Can I have somewhere to sit down? What do you want me to do? Get rid of the sugar? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> the people up north need their cakes. It does blow my mind how many cities are on the Mississippi. Like, I'm from a place that's on the Mississippi that is way, way north. And then you just, it's like half the cities in the U.S. that are familiar to you are also just on the Mississippi. I mean, in this time, waterways, that was, that oh, was yeah, everything, yeah, right? Crucial. Like, you didn't make a landlocked city. No. That was the highway. Is there a city that's not on a river? I mean, surely, yes, now. But I mean, few, like, yeah. well, maybe Dallas. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know that the L.A. River was ever much for boat traffic. Tucson, Arizona. There you go. I don't know. I, I assume. Yeah. The gleaming jewel of the desert, Scottsdale. <laughs> it may be on a river. I don't it know. Could be. I, I, don't, I don't know yeah. topography. She then went a short distance upriver to take on a new load of coal from some coal barges. Good. Let's get some more shit on this boat. Yes. We need heavy ass coal on the ship too. Flammable heavy coal. Yeah. And then at about 1 a.m. on April 27th, the ship started to go north again. The coal, coal boarding is going to come back later. Yes. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Not in an official capacity. Yeah. So at around 2 a.m. on April 27th, about seven miles north of Memphis, disaster struck. <gasps> yeah. They ran out of sugar? No. Oh. They had plenty of sugar and coal. <laughs> they were enjoying an, a nice cocoa. Yeah. The severe overcrowding and faster river current caused by the spring thaw put increased pressure on the ship's newly patched boilers. Finally. They had to drink regular tea, not sweet tea. Because uh, that's a huge disaster for that region. In the south? No, that would be that would be worse than an explosion if you had to drink regular tea in Mississippi oh. and Arkansas. No yeah. way. Are you Forget a sweet tea it. guy? No, I, I'm not a tea drinker, but my but my dad would just dump sugar in tea. I remember as a kid. I don't know if you can call sweet tea tea personally. It's like sugar with a hint of tea. Can I, I just I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, I try to get unsweetened, but Popeyes will not listen to me. No, nor should they. <laughs> They're like unsweetened. They give her sweetened. Yeah, she give wants her the sweet sweetest tea. tea. Yeah. Why don't you, yeah, order regular tea and just some grilled chicken at Popeye's? <laughs> it's like trying to get an iced coffee at McDonald's. They, they will give you <laughs> yeah. all the sweetener they yes. have. So finally, overstrained boilers exploded, blowing apart the center of the boat and starting an uncontrollable fire. Cool. Potter, the lawyer turned author we mentioned earlier, said, the entire center of the boat erupted like a volcano. Yeah, that's probably that sugar exploding. Yeah, yeah, very flammable, right? Yeah, I read something that it like caved in. So like both decks just sort of caved inwards and like people were just sliding down the decks into oh this God. just inferno, inferno yeah. into hell. Yeah. yeah, certain death. There's some grisly details we didn't include in this retelling, but uh, there's some pretty creative ways that people perished on this shit. Yes. So the passengers who did survive the initial explosion had to risk their lives in the icy Mississippi River or burn with the boat. Many died of drowning or hypothermia. So there were rescue attempts, of course. Passing ships helped rescue survivors. The southbound steamer Bostona, Bostona. Ar arrived at about 2.30 a.m., a half hour after the explosion, and rescued scores of people. At the same time, dozens of people began to float past the Memphis waterfront, calling for help until they were noticed by the crews of docked steamboats and U.S. warships, who immediately set about rescuing the survivors. What was that uh, Matthew McConaughey movie with the Civil War, like, gunship? It's made of metal. How to lose a guy in 10 days. That's no. it. I'll look it up. Other ships joined the rescue, including the steamers Silver Spray, Jenny Lind, and Pocahontas, the Navy ironclad USS Essex, and the sidewheel gunboat USS Tyler. Hell yeah. Passing boats and bystanders on both sides of the river helped pull survivors out of the water. Some survivors were plucked from the top of semi-submerged trees along the Arkansas shore. So it's just a sea of people. Yeah, the, and the flooding apparently was so bad, it was like... You could just see tops of trees. That's how swollen the river was. That so is it was just terrifying. a perfect confluence of awful things. And you know it is just mud. Yeah. Right? Well, because like look, it's picked up so much sediment. 
That's the thing too, like the headwaters, whatever it's called, of the Mississippi are up, because this is obviously the south, right? Where this is happening. This is Arkansas or wherever. I think, yeah, it's just north of Memphis. Or sorry, it's north, okay. So the, this is the south, this is Tennessee. The Mississippi though begins in like either Canada or Minnesota is where the headwaters are. So you I, have- What is headwaters? Like the start of a river. Oh. Isn't that what it's called? Well, I, I'm, no, this is new to me. I'm not doubting you. I just am not familiar with the term. Yeah, it's the source. Headwaters is the source of a river. And you and you were both right. You had Memphis on one side and Arkansas on the other side of the river. Oh, okay. I got Memphis to the left of me. Arkansas to the right. Here I am, exploding like a volcano. Yeah. Also, Matthew McConaughey was in Free State of Jones, but the movie I was thinking of is Sahara. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah, remember that one? Sahara's pretty fun, and he plays a character named Dirk Pitt. Okay. Yes. All right. That's so. Enough. Like, or yeah. So, like I was saying, yes, this takes place in the south, but the headwaters in the Mississippi—that's up in Lake Itasca, Minnesota. So the load of snow and all that stuff melts and then just <laughs> goes down the Mississippi. Right. So, whole lot more water coming through. They're like hockey sticks floating down, and people in Arkansas are like, "What in the hell are the hot dish?" Yeah. Ironically, even Confederate soldiers helped rescue their former enemies. One nearby soldier was Franklin Barton, who served in the 23rd Arkansas Cavalry. His descendant, Frank Barton, told NPR that his ancestor was, quote, tasked with, among other things, raiding ships going up and down the river. A few weeks earlier, he might have been attacking the Sultana if it had come in. Well, let's hope he was some, like, hapless farmer that was drafted into the Confederacy. <laughs> and, and Frank Barton's not like, he was one hell of an officer. Some nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh. Instead, according to newspaper accounts, Barton saved several Union soldiers, but the carnage was immense. Bodies continued to be found downriver for months, some as far as Vicksburg. Many bodies were just never recovered. And among those who perished were a whole lot of Sultana's officers. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine so. So the ship exploded. Next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened afterwards? Well, the exact death toll is unknown. We found like 1,168 on the low end, and other estimates put it at about 1,800. We so, being ship hits the face. Yes, our research crew, yeah, we Brian. Did, we, we, did, we took our sub. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like, yeah. So the numbers kind of range, but by comparison, the sinking of the Titanic killed... 1,512 people. Mm -hmm. And this is another thing that got overshadowed because Lincoln yeah. got shot just a few days earlier. So you have this awful disaster and people are like, yeah, that sucks, but the president's dead. Yeah, yeah but somebody is, just killed the president. This is not unlike the Eastland disaster Yeah, in that it's horribly tragic, but everyone's like, e we got other things going on. Yeah. Put a pin in it. The official cost of the Sultana disaster was determined to be mismanagement of water levels in the boilers, exacerbated by the fact that the vessel was severely overloaded and top-heavy. As the steamboat made her way north following the twists and turns of the river, she listed or swayed severely from side to side. And the official inquiry found that the boilers exploded because of the combined effects of careening, low water levels, and the faulty repair made a few days earlier. Whew. Yeah, so a lot of things came together to really make this Horrific. If I remember correctly, there was an official report that found some other causes. The most recent report, which is by Pat Jennings, a principal engineer of the Hartford Steam Boiler Inspection and Insurance Company, highlighted a few potential causes. Among them was the metal used to construct the boilers, charcoal hammered number one, a material that apparently becomes brittle as a result of repeated heating and cooling. Huh. 
Yeah. Perfect. Probably pretty Great. bad for something that is constantly heating and cooling. <laughs> well, do you want it done in a day or not? Because <laughs> yes. all I got is charcoal hammer number one. So do you want your POWs or not? Yeah, That's fine. The best I can do for you is charcoal hammer number one. <laughs> so interestingly, the Hartford Steam Boiler Inspection and Insurance Company was founded the year following the incident, a direct result of the Sultana tragedy. How's that for creating jobs? Yeah. Great. Way to go. We need more of these disasters. We're, we're on the verge of the reconstruction era. Yeah. You know? So, in spite of the magnitude of the disaster, no one was ever formally held accountable. Mm. Captain Frederick Speed, a Union officer who sent the 1,960 paroled prisoners into Vicksburg from the parole camp, was charged with grossly overcrowding Sultana and found guilty. However, the guilty verdict was overturned by the Judge Advocate General of the United States Army on grounds that Speed had not personally placed a soldier on board Sultana. God, the, so. the, the never-ending corruption is just... Yeah. It's like when you blame, like, the contractor or whatever. There's, like, exactly. layers and layers yeah. of right. people and, you can... And even then go, well, he didn't know what he was doing. Right. Come on. Captain George Williams, who had placed the men on board, was a regular army officer, and the military refused to go after one of their own. That's still the, still pretty much how it works, right? You've got to hold rank. Yeah. Probably the most culpable person was Captain Hatch, who had concocted the scheme with Captain Mason to crowd as many men onto Sultana as possible. Hatch was relieved of his duties on June 1865 and died six days later at age 53. He was never charged with any crimes involving the Sultana. Man. Yeah. And that's that's old age. And that's the guy who probably is him and him and the captain of the ship, I feel like, are the two most, I don't know, obviously guilty parties. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're Absolutely. the ones who also like they didn't have good intentions either. It's not like, hey, we just really want to get these men home to their families. No. It was just this these men are worth five or ten dollars each. Uh speaking of Captain Cass Mason. Yeah. Uh the the big question, did the captain go down with the ship? I'm so glad you asked. Yes, Captain Mason of the Sultana, who was ultimately responsible for dangerously overloading his vessel and ordering the faulty repairs to her leaky boiler, had died in the explosion. Oh, he did go down. Wow. Yeah. So Not necessarily by choice. Uh, <laughs> no. But, you know. <laughs> but, you know, a technicality is, you know, a pass. Yeah, it counts. Look, Captain, all I can fix it with is charcoal hammered number one, a material that explodes on contact with river water. <laughs> Do you want it or not? Hmm. Reading one of his yes. 2000 newspapers. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, <laughs> yeah. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, get out of here. Hey, did you know that President Lincoln died? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> He's telling us. In the end, no one was ever held accountable for what remains the deadliest maritime disaster in United States history. Oof. Yeah, yeah. And this this is some let's let's throw this is kind of fun. Of course, where there's tragedy, there's conspiracy theories. Coal fuel can't melt iron beams, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, one such theory has been pushed most heavily by a woman named D.H. Rule. Yeah. Is this a current woman or a So I was looking into this yesterday. The blog or site was run what it looks like from 2001 to 2007. So it's definitely more recent in the grand scheme of things, but I don't think it's very well upkept. I think the site was called Civil War St. Louis. And also, I should say, none of this is really officially recognized or credible. So I'm not really oh, worried course. about rules uh, credentials. I just yeah. mostly wanted to bring it up. But apparently a Confederate official partially credited with the sabotage and sinking of multiple Union steamboats by the name of Robert Luden, sometimes spelled Loden, confessed on his deathbed to sabotaging the Sultana. 
The method, a coal torpedo. Ooh. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. As far as we know, the confession did happen. Uh, oh, really? It's covered in Potter's book. Oh, which wow. Which we spoke about earlier. So from this confession, uh, D.H. Rule went and connected some serious dots, like Pepe Silvia did style. Some, yeah, she, yeah. she went off, most of which are consisting of the fact that the main players in the story, Luden, Captain Mason, and the inventor of the coal torpedo, which we'll get to, all came from St. Louis. Oh, so they're, it's definitely so true it then. Yeah. Makes they it were all from St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> if you're from the same place as someone, you're in cahoots. A hundred percent. Folks, folks, I got the documents <laughs> all right here. Luden, oh, no, Brian. Mason, the adventure of the coal torpedo. <laughs> they're all from St. Louis and they conspired with the globalists to destroy the Sultana and institute a one world government, which we're seeing right now. Folks, upstate, upriver, they poured it. extra water in to flood the Mississippi in advance of the Union soldiers' return. You can see there's photos of people dumping extra water in buckets into the river. They got women and children pouring buckets in uh, up in Chicago. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It's a different river, isn't it? Chicago River doesn't oh, very connect much to the so. Mississippi. Very much different river. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the waterways are connected in some way, right? I guess, yeah. This is a real river. This is the real America. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, there are some conspiracies surrounding this. Um, yeah. Coal the, torpedo sounds cool. It, it, it does sound very cool, but unfortunately, it's misleading. It's, oh. it's not as cool as it sounds. It was more of a bomb encased in iron. To make it look like a large piece of coal, like it was dusted with coal yeah. dust over it. Okay. As Rule tells it, an extra worker boarded the ship on the Arkansas side of the river carrying what appeared to be a large piece of coal. Ten pounds of... Yeah, like a very large piece of coal. An extremely large. Apparently it had ten pounds of explosives inside it. Apparently that extra worker was looting and he put it inside... The problem is, though, where that coal would have exploded is not the boiler... But where the right. coal was shoveled in, nobody really gives it any credit. There was another account in the early 1900s that a Tennessee farmer who lived alongside the river and cut wood for passing steamboats had <laughs> hollowed out a log, filled it with gunpowder, and left the lethal log on, on a pile of wood. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and apparently it was mistakenly taken by the Sultana. Wow. So, he hollowed it out and didn't even mean to take down the boat, apparently. He just did it for fun. But sure. the Sultana was a coal-burning boat and not a wood burner. So, like... Why would... Yeah. It, it didn't happen. It, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. uh, th that said, it's fun to cover conspiracy theories. They go back all the way. This is like all these dudes in the Pacific Northwest who said they're D.B. Cooper. Like, yeah. It's yeah, just yeah, exactly. a famous thing that happened and every, every old person wants in on it. Yep. And you can't really prove that they're wrong. No. So and, it's kind of, you, you know, know. If you're on your deathbed, you can say anything. Anything you want. Yeah. Anything you want. And it will lend it more credibility. Yes. Totally. Because you're dying. Yeah. You might be seeing like an angel while you're saying this. Right. Yeah. And you're yeah. looking at your legacy and being like, you know, I really haven't done anything. How about I just last minute? I, I say that I did something that I didn't do. Yeah. And everyone will believe me. That's so true. I yeah. told the Safety brothers to make good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. That is the Sultana. Still remains the worst maritime disaster in U.S. history, which is insane. It's wild. We've accounted for God, probably like up almost to 3,000 deaths on this podcast, and we have not even left fresh water. Yeah. Two shows in. Which we should, probably, in. we should probably do next. We should probably get out there we should probably, into the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Strike out into the open seas. Oh, which actually, speaking of the Atlantic, I want to get into our honorable mention today. Play the honorable mentions, Foghorn. So this is current. This is at the time of recording. 
like an ongoing situation. Yeah. At least it started a few days ago or a week ago. Yeah. So this episode's honorable mention goes to the Felicity Ace, which recently caught fire in the mid-Atlantic. I loved her in Rogue One. Yes. Great. The 60,000-ton cargo ship was transporting an estimated 4,000 vehicles from Porsche and the VW Group from Germany to the U.S. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Look at me. I am the captain now. <laughs> uh, the 22-person so crew all evacuated safely, but apparently, and again, we know very little about maritime law, that put the ship up for grabs under something referred to as finders keepers because apparently playground rules apply on the high seas as well. So, so this is why I love shit like this because the rules haven't been changed in 200 yeah. years. I saw some conflicting reports on whether or not it actually fell under finders keepers rules, but something about like the entire crew abandoning a ship. There's some like kind of gray area there, I think. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I certainly don't know. Again... We're amateurs. Yeah. Through and through. Yeah. So around 1,100 Porsches, 189 Bentleys, dozens of Lamborghinis, Ooh. and approximately 100 Volkswagen Golf R, GTI, Arteon, and ID4 vehicles were on the ship. And oh it's very God. funny because so much of the reporting is just concerned with like, is this going to affect auto prices in the U.S.? Well, Which the- I get, like <laughs> no one died. You know, it's not really, it's not a tragedy. No, so I can, it is they just can't funny focus that, on yeah. that. The, it, you know, it would be awful if someone had died, but people still would have had to reckon with that and then still also go into like, but what does this the mean? Supply chain. The supply yeah. chain. Yeah, there's going to be a few dozen assholes in LA that are going to have to go with their older Lamborghinis. Oh. It looks like my gas prices went up. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> so my favorite part about all of this, though, was just the like interviews with people affected by it, you know? So speaking with the New York Times, car enthusiast Matt Farah said his Boxster Spider was tragically lost in the fire. He told the Times, quote, the best sports car of all time, hands down. I just got a call from my dealer. My car is now adrift, possibly on fire in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> so we just want to say from Ship Hits the Fan to Matt, our hearts go out to you and your $123,000 car. <laughs> uh, all the best. I ho- I wish you a swift recovery. Um, there was also something in that quote about how he believes Porsche will do right by their customers. So He lost his car under the maritime law of losers weepers. Oh, oh, so he's not going to get the money. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that there's nothing in there for like an insurance policy. And you know what? I'm going to get it. I'm going to rent. I'm going to charter a boat. I'm going to find it. I'm going to keep it. Yeah. That's my spider. That's how it works. Well, as long as you abandon it first. I think you do have to abandon the ship first. No, 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 no. I'm taking the one from this ship. Oh, then yeah, you're good. Yeah. As of recording, the ship was being towed to somewhere in Portugal or some islands that yeah, are it was at off run of by Azores, Portugal. I don't, yeah, yeah. Near Portugal. Yeah. Uh, of course, the Portuguese got it. Yeah, they always do, don't they? Good surfing out there. <laughs> Nazare. All right. That's episode two. That's episode two. Uh, we, we hope you enjoyed it. We're still plugging along. You can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Ship Hits Pod. Yeah. There will be more posts there as we go along. Yeah. And, uh, you know, subscribe, tell your friends, leave a review, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Do we have an out? Yeah. Do we have a what? Like a thing we do? Like an, an outro? Out? Like an outro? Like, I, a, like a word or two? You could do a foghorn if you want. Okay. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Do that. Perfect. That's beautiful. Oh, that's great. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for gassing me up. Thanks for calling me up. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.